0: Alberta Premier Jason Kenney is known for being a traditional small-government Conservative. But as the Conservative movement in Canada looks to evolve in the wake of electoral defeat, Kenney is suggesting a new approach. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Today, the National Post's Stuart Thompson talks about reform Conservatism, where the idea comes from, and how it could play into Canadian politics. Before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you for all the people who have subscribed and listened to this show in the last year. I wanted to let you know that we'll be taking a couple of weeks off over the holidays, but don't worry, we'll be back bright and early in 2020 with all new episodes. If you haven't already done so, please take a moment to subscribe to this show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review, and maybe even as a gift to us this Christmas, tell your friends about us. So, Stuart, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney was in Ottawa this week to meet with Conservative Leader Andrew Scheer. Met with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. You had a chance to sit down with him while he was there as well, and you kind of had a bit of a wide-ranging talk, including his thoughts on where Conservative politics need to go, especially in the wake of the election defeat uh, back in October. What, what kind of what was his mood around? how things went for his federal cousins.
1: Yeah, I think that right now, Kenny's mood is that um, you know he's good friends with Andrew Shear and he has supported him pretty vocally. But I was really curious about what his thoughts were on the ideas behind the conservative platform. And this is just something that I've been pursuing a little bit because there is – a movement in the United States and it's coming to Canada and I know there's a lot of Tories in Canada who are also thinking about this stuff but um broadly it's called reform conservatism and when I spoke to Kenny in April before the election he actually had kind of mentioned reform conservatism very briefly and said that he had thought about those ideas but when he came to Alberta he thought what this province really needs is a big injection of investment. And Kenny's team figured out that, you know, their opinion was the best way to do that was with a corporate tax cut, sort of this old school supply side economics, you know, like the Reagan um, conservatism. Mm -hmm. But him having mentioned reform conservatism kind of stuck in my brain. Um, And I know that, um, you know, for example, in the summer, there was a whole bunch of former Harper advisors, Doug Ford advisors got together with Uh, Orrin Cass, who's a U.S. economist, who he's been one of the leading forces behind this new movement in the States, sort of a post-Trump reformist conservatism, um, which... It tries to get away from the old school, capitalist, supply side ideas, basically everything you associate with, you know, the Reagan-Thatcher conservatives, they're trying to uh, Mm -hmm. sandpaper those edges off a little bit. So I was curious, Kenny's uh, obviously aware of this. So I put it to him um, if he was still thinking about these ideas and if he thought they might be useful for the federal conservative party. And actually, he, he surprised me in the depth of his answer that he's clearly been following this. He is friends with uh, Ross Douthat, who's a conservative New York Times columnist, and Raihan Salam, who's a leading intellectual on the right in the U.S. Those two guys actually wrote a book in, um, I think it was 2009. It was um, post-George W. Bush. And this was sort of the the first big salvo in the reform conservatism uh, movement. And the fact that Kenny is friends with these guys, I think, is interesting. Um, he knew of Orrin Cass and had followed his work. Um, and Kenny was saying, "We need to move towards a conservatism focused on social mobility." So the idea being that you don't want to focus so much on income disparities or inequality, um, the way the left does, but Something similar, which is taking people who are on the low end of the income spectrum and making sure they have a chance to get to the high end. And this is pretty easy to figure this out. You know, that a lot of people track social mobility across the world. And there is uh, some sense that it is stagnating in North America and actually in a lot of places. So uh, this is something Kenny's been thinking about for a long time. And he endorsed the idea of bringing some of this stuff to the Conservative Party of Canada.
0: Now when you talk about you know moving away from kind of supply side economics and looking at social mobility what kind of things could Kenny be looking at or could he is he suggesting that conservative politicians in Canada potentially look at
1: the first thing is something he's actually already doing in Alberta which is putting a big emphasis on the trades and This is something you'll hear a lot from these guys is that we just have too many people assuming that what they're supposed to do is go to university. And universities, you know, a long time ago, they used to be sort of liberal arts institutions. And it wasn't so much that you went there for job training. uh, You went there for an education in the old sense. And Kenny's idea is that, you know, in Alberta, we need people for the trades where we're looking at a shortage down the road. And this is a smart thing to encourage people to do. And these jobs um, are the kind of jobs that when you talk to these reform conservatives, um, that's what they're interested in. You know, the, the good jobs that politicians are always talking about, the kind of jobs that um, come with benefits and enough income to support a family. Um, that's the kind of stuff that Kenny's looking for. And I, I think this is basically an, ad- an admission too, that a lot of these old policies Aren't quite doing the job anymore. It'll be really interesting to see how um, the corporate tax cut plays out in Alberta, because mm. Kenny himself admitted that's you know sort of supply side conventional thinking. But he is at least looking at other stuff too to to, to sort of bring those things to Alberta.
0: No, yeah, that is interesting that that someone who. Who is thinking so much about the idea of reform conservatism and potentially it's more government intervention in a way is the same guy who's talking about lowering corporate tax rates and, you know, uh, cutting some social programs, de-indexing, uh, supports for severely disabled people and kind of taking away some of what people would call a social safety net in Alberta. Mm -hmm. How does he reconcile kind of those ideals?
1: Yeah. From what I get um, from him is that he came to Alberta with a a terrible economic situation where investment was fleeing the province. There was huge deficits. And from Kenny's point of view, he um, describes these measures as like, you know, this is critical care. If you do a drastic corporate tax cut, maybe that makes people um, who run businesses kind of sit up and take notice and say, maybe we want to move to Alberta after all, because it's a lower tax environment. You know, it remains to be seen if that's going to work. Looking down the road, some of these other policies are pretty interesting because um, you're right, it is less sort of, uh, Kenny called it laissez-faire capitalism. So one politician in the States that I know Kenny's been following is Marco Rubio, who's sort of on Mm -hmm. the cutting edge of this stuff. And uh, one of the more clarifying examples that Rubio used has been helpful to me in understanding this, which is that corporations have been doing a lot of what's called um, stock buybacks, And this is essentially, you have a corporation with a lot of cash, they can't think of some way to invest it. So what they do is they buy stock back from their investors. And there are tax incentives for that. And Rubio's point is, we are encouraging a certain type of behavior from corporations. And perhaps, you know, rather than encouraging behavior that doesn't really do anything for anyone, we should encourage them to invest it in things that create jobs. And Rubio is kind of framing this in moral terms, which I think is interesting. He's been quoting um, Pope Leo XIII in his speeches about this and Hmm. saying that businesses have an obligation to workers in the same way that workers have an obligation to businesses. So, you know, if you're an employee of a company, you're sort of expected to show up to work on time and work your hardest. And uh, Rubio says, maybe it's time that we expect the same from businesses. So these are arguments. I mean, I would not be surprised to hear those arguments from someone on the left about how corporations owe us something. Um, And it's really interesting to hear a conservative senator who ran for president in the Republican primary against Donald Trump, sort of seeing this as a way to get support in today's uh, Republican Party. So, you know, Rubio is one of those guys that when he does something, you should pay attention because he he tends to have pretty shrewd political instincts. And um, this seems to me to be a movement that's sort of growing in the states and perhaps even more in Canada.
0: Is this kind of a reaction to to Trump not following through on his claim that he's going to help people who've been previously ignored by the political system like he won uh in areas of the country that were feeling really disenfranchised in a way economically uh and they didn't feel like they were being helped out by the political class and I get the sense that things haven't necessarily improved for some of those people, like in the Rust Belt states. Is this kind of a response to that even? Like people are like, well, we tried drain the swamp, Donald Trump, and he's just cutting, you know, more tax cuts, more helping corporations. Let's try something else. Or is it, you know, thoughtful conservatives that are looking at trying to look at this in a different way and potentially say, you know, the conservative brand has been damaged by, uh, someone like Donald Trump, and we need to find a way to rebuild that.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, it, it is a reaction to Trump in a few ways, because um, when Douthat and uh, Rahan Salam wrote their book in 2009, they pointed out that there is a element of working class voter that's sort of up for grabs. And a lot of their policies were designed to grab that working class voter. And we're talking, you know, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And you may recognize those states as states that were very helpful in getting Donald Trump elected. Mm-hmm. So they were, I mean, those guys have some cred now that they they seem to have foretold the actual coalition that led to Trump. Their point was that maybe we should get these voters on side with the like normal GOP um platform before someone like Donald Trump comes along. So now we're sort of in this area where, you know, I spoke to Oren Cass, the economist in the US uh, earlier in the year, and he said, you know, these kind of rethinks tend to happen when parties lose. Um, But right now, there's sort of this vacuum of ideas and um, there's sort of a big space for thinking in the new Donald Trump GOP because he's not really a policy guy. He's more of sort of appealing to people's feelings. And then there's a lot of politicians who see this as a chance to fill this with some policies that would appeal to those voters. So they're looking at this as, you know, whether Donald Trump wins reelection next year, or whether he wins, uh, whether he loses, and we're looking for those voters in 2024, we have to find a way to get at them. And it can't just be rhetoric, because at some point, you're going to have to actually do something. Um, So this is, I think, based on that. And I I think there's also a regional aspect to this, which is that these, the, the people that we're talking about with these programs tend to be in industries that are very localized. So you'll have coal mining towns or, you know, resource sector industries that, you know, I worked in Whitecourt, Alberta for a year, and that is, there's a lot of lumber going on there. So if anything happens to the lumber mill, it's a huge effect on the town. So these are all things that are very localized. And when you have people who are disaffected or they're going through a downturn in one area, then they're all together and it has a knock-on effect for the whole community. So um, this is the kind of thing I think Kenny's thinking about in terms of Alberta, but there's a lot of different areas across Canada and across North America where I think it'll be relevant.
0: Yeah. I mean, you you could see that applied to places like uh, Ontario's manufacturing sector, but as far as Kenny's concerned, he's the premier of a province that is heavily reliant on resource industries, whether that is oil and gas or coal or even forestry and agriculture. You get a sense that it may be a harder sell in Canada because there seems to be a great deal of not animosity, but maybe antipathy toward some of those Alberta-based resource industries. So how does a conservative politician in Canada try and sell it when he's fighting against political parties that are using it as a uh, whipping post in relation to the debate on climate change?
1: Yeah. I mean, that I think is the fundamental difficulty here because the obviously the issue of climate change is extremely important to voters across Canada. And that debate, Takes on uh, a different context in Alberta, where you know the the policies being offered are you know they're going to affect the livelihoods there. So it is different. Um, I, I think there is an element of populism to this that may be useful because mm-hmm. you know if you look at some of the policies offered by reform conservatives in the states, there's some very like pro-family policies that you would think. Would be sellable, and like any political party, I think what you have to do is you isolate the things that you think will be very popular, and then you put them to the front, and then you have the stuff in the middle that's sort of a grab bag um, that could go either way, and then you have the stuff you really want to do that you think is important that may not be a political winner. Um, so there will obviously be some kind of sorting like that, but uh, a lot of this stuff I do think though could be sold in sort of a populist way. Um, and, and the pro-family tax stuff I think is important there. And then a lot of this is about helping out industries that are offering good jobs. And the amount of times you hear a politician say good jobs when you do this job as a political reporter, it <laughs> it seems like that is a sellable thing. So yeah. uh, I, I would imagine that the the whiz kids behind the Tory party could figure that one out.
0: One last question. You, you, know, I, you sat down with Kenny before he met with the prime minister then he had a scrum after he sat down with Justin Trudeau. Did you get a sense that some of the concerns that he's been talking about in in the weeks since the federal election were addressed or that the prime minister is a sympathetic ear? How do you think that went?
1: Yeah, it was a big contrast to um, Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe, who came out angry and disappointed with the meeting. There are cynics uh, that will point out that Moe is up for re-election next year and Kenny is not. So maybe that's part of this, but I, you know, I was surprised to hear how many times Kenny said that he really appreciated the prime minister listening and seeming to take on board a lot of the concerns. Um, it was a very sort of low key and rational uh, press conference. And I, I do think that the Trudeau and Kenny both realized that there is some overlap here and mm-hmm. I think they do both realize that they like as much as Kenny gets short-term political support in Alberta for, you know, going to Ottawa and rattling some cages, I do think that solving these problems brings him more long-term political support. So, and I think Trudeau probably feels the same way. So, if they can find some areas where they overlap, which I think is getting the Trans Mountain pipeline constructed and you know, boosting the fiscal stabilization fund, which helps out provinces when they have some economic downturns. Um, I I think these things are fixable. And I, you know, some people have said that Kenny um, benefits from just constantly being in conflict with Ottawa. And I think that's true in in a short term perspective. But, you know, I I think people in Alberta want to get actual solutions too. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they can solve some of these things in the short term.
0: Do you think that any of this kind of reform conservatism could kind of play into those discussions, and he could try and advance an agenda based on those ideals?
1: Yeah, that is an interesting look at it because I do think you know take the trades thing for example, which is that you know Alberta needs people to work in the trades really badly. The government has been projecting a big shortfall in workers for a while now, and there's a similar problem in in Ontario. So they're sort of combining forces on that. And then uh, the federal government obviously has a a motive to to work on that problem too. So, you know, a lot of this is about identifying the problems and, and, you know, the solutions tend to come from there. So I wouldn't be surprised if they can find some overlap on that too.
0: Awesome. Well, Stuart, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall, Thanks to my guest, Stuart Thompson. More from him at NationalPost.com. I'm Dave Brekenridge. Thanks for listening.